Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspel. Uh, well, guys, uh, we are now into the doldrums of uh, late spring. Um, it's actually not even late spring, it's early spring. Uh, but th- there's not a ton to talk about, but uh, we- we've got a little, little bit of a Northwestern grab bag here for you today. i uh, got some news from the uh, basketball front, we got some news from the football front. Uh, we'll gear up for the NFL draft here coming up in a few weeks. Uh, but to first uh, dive in, uh, we should probably talk about these pictures that have been making their way around the internet. Um, a lot of people are just have a lot to say about it. It's really, you know, something to behold. And yeah, I'm talking about the new Illinois uniforms. <laughs> Blah. Oh, glorious. <laughs> yes, that's that's what Illinois football fans have been in rapture of this this past week. Illinois' gorgeous Syracuse reject leftover football uniforms. Man, did that feel like a reactionary news dump. Uh, sorry, Illinois. Sorry uh, that you you don't sit on a beautiful lake uh, and you're in the middle of cow pastures. Better luck next time. Yeah, So, but I guess what we're really referring to is the, uh, the unveiling of the Ryan Fieldhouse Um just absolutely spectacular pictures coming out of the dedication. And then I believe uh, one of the final practices of spring practice was held in there. So that the team got a chance to get in there and obviously all the media were out there with their cameras and, you know, getting those uh, videos, visuals um, just looks absolutely spectacular. And uh, it, you know, seems to be doing the trick as we've seen a little bit of a, rush in some commitments here lately. I know that tends to happen during spring ball, but uh, I think these high school kids are coming in. They're actually able to see this new facility that they'd be able to practice in rather than just see renderings or, or drawings or bulldozers and you know, land movers in the ground, cranes and whatnot. But to actually see the almost finished product is is huge for these recruits coming in. Um, few offensive line commitments here in the last couple of days, but uh, f- at first glance, guys, what do you think? Uh, just from the videos you've been able to see from the from this new facility. So interestingly, I mean, I I went and actually walked campus after the Minnesota game um, that I attended with my dad this fall, and so I saw at least the outside of this thing. And I mean, I guess my one. I'll say just one detracting thing, and that's that it's it's not an ugly building from the from the outside, but much like Soldier Field, it's very large relative to its surroundings, and I don't know that it feels crammed in, but it feels a little crammed in still. The, the view from inside is unbelievable. I had a guy at work stop me today, an Alabama fan, who was like, "Hey, I saw your new indoor facility. That's amazing." Um, and coming from Alabama, who you know has, you know, top-end NFL caliber facilities as well, like, I just, we've been recruiting successfully using renderings on this thing. I'm so excited to see what the program can do with it actually in place. Um, and I, you know, I think that this is going to have an impact on the on the athletes' lives. It's going to keep them closer to, to campus. Uh, I, I don't know that that's going to change the way they play. 
I don't think we should expect it to change the way they play, but it makes life a little bit easier for these guys, and that can't be a bad thing. I mean, I it, it'll be probably a solid year, right, before we know exactly how this is going to shake out, really, regarding recruiting. Um, and if it does, it's going to be with, you know, guys that are four stars or something who, you know, might not have otherwise come who are going to be talking about this facility. But optically, I mean, and you guys have, have already said it, I mean, it's it's not nice for Northwestern. It's nice for everybody. And Scuzz is Scuzz's comment about the Alabama guy. I mean, they have a waterfall in their locker room. So, you know, <laughs> if, if he's pointing out that, that it looks like a big deal. And I think the thing that I really love about it is um, it's not just really, really nice and a really big commitment on, you know, Northwestern's part to produce this. It's something other people can't do. I mean, right now, I'm sure Wisconsin is looking at this and being like, how come we didn't do this? We're on an isthmus. Um, and and <laughs> we're, by we're, the way, whoa, 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 whoa. how how long were you waiting to drop the word isthmus in here? I'm, I'm not. I it's just remember been three years in the waiting now. <laughs> I remember that I definitely first used the first time I ever learned the word isthmus was visiting my friend Alex at the University of Wisconsin. I don't know that I've ever heard it used in any other context other than to describe the University of Wisconsin campus. Uh, but the you know, and and by the way, don't be surprised if ten years from now Wisconsin's got a facility that looks like this. But the thing is, you can't do this on the ocean, and there aren't enough schools that have access to that kind of thing anyway. So then it becomes all right. Well, who's got access to, um, you know, the kind of lakes? I mean, Minnesota's surrounded by lakes, but I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Scuzz. I don't know if that that campus is in close nope. proximity to a large body of water. I mean, the, um, the, the Mississippi be the closest thing you got. Right. And uh, and everywhere else, they're just no one else has Lake Michigan in this in in this capacity. So we're one of the only people that can offer this. And again, you know, it's not like the coaches are going to let these guys listlessly daydream in the middle of practice staring out at the lake. This is for recruits. And you can try to paint it any other way and dress it up with words like commitment and all these other things. It's to sell guys on visits. And that kind of stuff really matters. Um, and, you know, we've never had this kind of thing. And obviously Northwestern's not going to compromise academic standards, rightfully so. Um, and we're not going to kind of, you know, stoop to the levels that some other people will. So here was an opportunity, a chance to really do something big. And this kind of thing really is going to matter. But again, like if you haven't seen the photos, look at the photos because we're not just paying lip service here. Like it's gorgeous. The the one question I had, and this is like not not even nitpicky. This is just sort of um, a, a question I had. And is the dome high enough that you can punt in there? It's pretty high. It's I mean, high. It's it's up there. And, I mean, you know, I, I, this thing looks like uh, it looks like a golf dome. You know, from from a distance. It's hard to see the roof. Is it's hard to get a feel for the roof like that's the part that not being there yourself it's hard to get a feel optically for it um i wish i had a picture of like the kibby dome at idaho up right now so i could like compare and see well how much higher is that roof because they punt in there but um i don't know maybe that's a test if you can hit the roof maybe you know you're the kind of punter we need. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel 
like that's something they had to have taken into account. And, you know, you, you wouldn't build a dome like that unless you're making sure that you can, you can punt in there. Um, and it's, it's gotta be at least as high as the, as the old indoor facility, right? If not higher. And I'm sure they were, you're able to punt in, in the, the old Trinan's hall. And it, it's, a, it's a very minor question. I, I think that it really is just a it's beautiful facility. And I can't wait to see uh, even more pictures come out. Because right now, all, all we've seen is the, uh, the, the, the field part. Um, and, you know, we haven't seen any of the locker rooms. And, you know, what sort of... You know, obviously, I don't think that there's like a waterfall or an infinity pool in the coach's locker room. Probably not. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing more images, uh, from this field house. Um, definitely very, very cool. So, so uh, here's my question. If it's so awesome, why fit so mad? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was just about to, to pivot to that. Um, very odd. And I don't know how odd it is. I mean, this is definitely something that fits is, you know, probably thinking about quite a bit. And, you know, what we're referring to is, um, in that, uh, kind of curtain drop, uh, the ribbon cutting ceremony, if you will, um, Fitz kind of went on a bit of a rant, uh, kind of saying, all right, you know, the team is all in, uh, we need the fans to be all in as well. Uh, really challenging the, the community to come out, you know, get, you know, be out there at Ryan Field for games. Don't sell your tickets to opposing team fans. Actually make, a home field advantage, you know, be loud on defense, be quiet on offense, you know, all, all those. <laughs> Let me, let's, no, uh, cheer loud when we're on defense and shut up when we're on offense <laughs> was the exact nomenclature. I was being a little kind, but okay, yep, let, let, let's use exact quotes. Um, this is, you know, Fitz playing mind games, right? I guess. I mean, he's trying to light a fire, right? I mean, I, I, we all agree that Northwestern doesn't have the the home field fan support that it should, especially given the um, the the success we've had in the past couple of years. We also understand, though, that I mean the the alumni base is a big part of it, um, and that you know it, it's weird. I mean, I think fits what he wants and you know i think rightfully so is to stake a claim to northern illinois and to say hey you know we're the we're illinois football team up here try to drum up support in chicago i mean i think realistically that's that's it i mean i obviously i mean we'd like it if if the alumni base was stronger and came out to the games and everything and but and and they ought to and i think that's part of what he's saying but there's a ceiling on that and i think you know he's kind of trying to make a, a plea to the Chicago, you know, community in general and be like, Hey, like we're your team. Come on out. Look at this. We're making like a big commitment. Um, that's always been the tough sell. And maybe there's, you know, that's why he has a little bit of frustration, you know, baked into that. Um, but, but I don't know, like it's, it's kind of a mixed bag because he's, he like on one hand we all kind of agree with the nuts and bolts of what he's saying on the other hand like 
obviously we're all grateful to the generous donors who submitted to put this facility together. But like standing next to rich people while calling out the common man is not a good look in general. <laughs> and that's why I like, you put that. That's why it's just like that's why it kind of like rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. But but with that said, like obviously he's fired up for the same reason we get fired up anytime we're at a game that's really lightly attended or we're outside. It's like, you know, we're doing these things. We're trying to pull in big recruits and everything. Now it's time for everyone to pull their weight and that we all agree with. I just think there's a way to do it that's less confrontational, especially when it's very clear that the team's all in, and I'm going to open up an old wound here, but we're going to screw around with offensive line combinations the first five weeks of the season. Or we're, I don't know, it just like, it, like, like I get where Fitz is coming from, but this is, it's almost like he has two personalities. There's, there's rah-rah off-season Fitz, and then there's post-game press conference Fitz. And I, I, I wish they were a little bit closer to the same person. Does that make sense? Yeah. Am I crazy? Like, no, like basically being like, look, like you, like you, especially with the kind of alumni base who's liable to get really into Northwestern football, there is kind of this like, if like, don't expect blind loyalty. Like, what you're gonna get is people who get really involved in the program and then are going to be really focused on the program. And, and that's the trade-off too. I mean, you know, he made the comment about Nebraska, right? in their 390 straight sellouts or whatever. And it's like, that's true. But like, I don't know if Fitz suddenly wants to import like 20, 20,000 extra people into the stands who like lack a certain amount of like, the twenty to thirty thousand people you'd be importing are not twenty to thirty thousand people who would have been okay with Mick McCall keeping his job over the past four or five exactly. years. Exactly, like you, you, like they want to trumpet this, like we're different from everybody else, except when it comes to fan support. I don't know. Like I, I, you're right, John. I agree with. Like we all feel the same way. Like come on, folks. Like let's go to the games. Let's stand up on third down. Let's make some noise support this team because they are doing things generally in in uh, a good way but it just it just comes off wrong it's like it's like um i was gonna say something that i probably shouldn't <laughs> regarding people in my office but i'll just say like uh, <laughs> how can i how can i put it the right way um well i mean the the, the feeling i get is like this is this was a time for a celebration. This is yeah, like, we yeah, are, yeah, un yeah. we are unveiling this beautiful thing and it, it's not the time to be coming out guns blazing, coming out firing off shots at your fan base. You know, this isn't like rah, rah, get up and go time. This is, Hey, this is super cool. Look at this beautiful facility that we opened up and let's be thankful for all the, the money that just got poured into it. And, you know, to all those recruits out there, check this out. You know, we're, we're going all in. You can say almost exactly what he said, but the tone wasn't quite uh, what right. where it should have been. I think he was fired up and it got away from him. I mean, I think you know, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I think his his intention was to be like, "Look, here's where we are. 
we took a huge step today. Let's keep taking steps, all of us together. And then it just, it just got away from him. Well, and that, that's, that's one way to think of it. And the, the, the tinfoil hat wearing me is wondering how much of that was on purpose. Like how much did he, you know, really turn that up to 11? How much of that was intentional to, you know, kind of increase even like the, the chatter even more? Maybe. I mean, I, it's, it's funny though. I mean, I, I would say that might have some effect within the Northwestern community. I mean, I, but I think even in the Northwestern community, um, maybe even he didn't understand just how unbelievable these photos were going to look because that kind of had the effect of, of visually drowning out everything. Well, Um, I I think he know exactly how beautiful the photos are going to look and from everything I read, it's even more impressive in person. So, I mean, he knows what what he has there, and which we'd all which we'd all be able to experience if the youth clinic was moved into the indoor facility this <laughs> Saturday. As long as we're grousing fits, <laughs> how comes how come Cece and Shoshi aren't going to the lakefront facility? Due to inclement weather for the youth clinic, but no, I'm, no I'm just kidding. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. so uh, t- kind of taking us to our next point, um, the the spring practice, the open practice that is all, always held at Ryan Field. Well, not always because it's not happening this year, but um, canceled due to uh, forecasted inclement weather. And apparently it's going to be kind of gnarly on Saturday and, and we're not the only ones, right? I mean, I think like Michigan's canceled, like a bunch of schools have canceled in the in the upper Midwest. Yeah, like this storm better better be nuts, is, is all I'm saying. But um, you know, it, it's a bummer not to be able to go out to spring practice. I know, um, you know, I, my daughter isn't quite old enough to really, you know, get anything from running around on the field. I know John Years is pro- like. Yours would probably oh, love yeah. it. Like, Cece wouldn't be, like, doing the clinic. <laughs> it would be, I just kind of wanted to see what her reaction would be standing next to giant football players in pads. But she would probably be like, eh, where's Willie? But, <laughs> but, but the point is, I would, have, I would have powered through it if it was a chance to see the new uh, lakefront facility. But, but uh, I'm sure we'll get our chance. Yeah, I think probably the you know a couple things popped into my head. One, maybe the facility still has some work to do. Um, you know, it's done enough for the the players to get out on the field, but maybe there's still some finishing touches uh, of construction that are still going on there. Um, it looked like there's nowhere for uh, fans to sit in in that facility there, so it's not like you can bring out a crowd. And yes, I know Northwestern spring practice is not as uh, well attended, shall we say, as uh, spring games most other places, uh, or in many other places, I, I guess. But, um, you know, not having any seating in the in the field house probably has something to do with it. Plausible. Plausible. I mean, I hope, I, I, I can't imagine there won't be a bunch of alumni events there those, this fall leading up to the season, you know? Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I, uh, so I think a, a good place to kind of pivot from here, taking this back to kind of where we started and like the true real purpose for having this facility in the first place um, is we've had 
kind of a little mini landslide of, of recruit signings over the past couple of, of uh, or really just the past week or really week and change. Um, they do all kind of fit into the category of like guys who must have walked in, looked at this lakefront facility and were like, really? I get to play here instead of Iowa State? And then they all just like signed immediately. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't exactly guys we were ripping away from the clutches of Urban Meyer or something like that. It, but I'm sure it was guys that you know Northwestern already was the gleaming jewel in their offer list, and then this I'm sure only compounded things. So yeah, Connor Foster, six seven two eighty offensive lineman from Milford, Ohio. Uh, all comes from the same high school that uh, Zach Streif came from. So, you know, if, if this kid has some, I'm sure he's heard a lot since he made his commitment um, today, uh, as we record this on uh, on Thursday, um, I'm sure he's heard that comparison quite a bit uh, to Streif coming out. Um, but, you know, three-star guy, had, you know, a bunch of other offers, but, you know, from mid-majors, couple other uh you know power five schools and then uh, Dominic D'Antonio from Woodstock Georgia another uh two two or three star I guess Ravels doesn't really have him uh ranked yet uh didn't really have a huge litany there's, of there's offers. a reason there's a reason for that it's because a year ago when a lot of the normal guys offensive line guys were attending rivals camps Dominic D'Antonio hadn't started playing football yet <laughs> <laughs> D'Antonio I mean I he's as interesting a recruit as anybody just because I guess from the time he put on pads for the first time uh, which again was like a year ago until now he's compiled a really enormous amount of offers now not that many power five offers but apparently he's a guy that I want to say was like a baseball player or something and then finally gave in and picked up football. So um, talk about raw potential. I mean, this guy, if, if he's a guy that can be molded into anything, um, we might really have something here. It's certainly a little bit of a roll of the dice. But, I mean, if the kid is coachable, you could be looking at an enormous ceiling. It's interesting to me, Foster is also a little bit of a roll of the dice. People are going to compare him. Uh, to Streif because they're from the same high school. They're the same height, I believe, 6'7". Um, and they're both offensive linemen. Foster is like half a Streif. It's like, obviously, he's going to gain a lot of weight. If you watch his film, I mean, the potential is crazy because he was a tight end in high school that they played at wide receiver for like 25% of the snaps at least. This kid was running routes, and now he's going to play tackle. So 6'7", 285, and he was out there running, you know, pass routes, running slants and posts. Um, he's, I mean, you talk about the raw athleticism. I mean, if if you're getting that kind of footwork, I mean, again, both of these guys are both huge developmental projects, but the raw potential is is there, you know, in terms of, of, you know, since we haven't exactly been a blue chip destination for offensive linemen, I do like the idea of, you know, a couple legit long shots where one might develop into something really special. Well, here's what's a little frustrating is that, uh, you know, you see 6'7", 280 tight end and you think Gr- Rob Gronkowski. Could or... 
or you think Trey Essex. Yeah, I think Trey sure. is another guy sure. who made Absolutely. that he he made that switch, right? And I mean I and the feet matter, right? I mean that's part of it is is you always hear about these guys that have played basketball for a long time and then they make the switch and it works because their footwork is so good. You know, maybe it's like that. I remember being really disappointed when Essex switched to tackle because he played tight end his freshman year and um, we were all so excited about him. And I remember when he, sh- when he switched and I, I didn't, I was a lot less versed in football at the time. Um, and then I realized how good he was in that role um, and over the next couple of years, the O-line got a lot better as a result. A fair point. And, you know, I, I just I just see those numbers and I'm like, oh, if we had a, a Gronk-type super back, you know, it's just such a such an advantage, I think. Especially, you know, in our, our, our situation where, you know, Thorson, we're still not sure where where he's at. I know in uh, in spring ball he did put on pads uh, and threw around, but he didn't do any drills. Um, but he was he was throwing the football a little bit. Um, the the so, one the one thing to keep in mind about Gronkowski is that um, he's only listed at two sixty five, so Foster already being two eighty is I mean is a pretty good sign that O line is is maybe a better fit for his frame and his body. Um, and if you if if you watch the film too, like he's not Gronk out there. Like he's he's he he had, I mean he he's not got he doesn't have blazing speed or anything like that. You know. Now, now Thomas Gordon out of Houston, uh, who is a TE commit at six five, two thirty, bulk him up a little bit, and I I like uh, I like where that's headed. I mean, if you think about some of the really good tight ends we've had in the past, like Drake Dunsmore. I want to say it was only 6'3", right? Does that ring yeah, a bell? Yeah, he, he, he wasn't overly tall. Yeah, so I mean, like, Gordon seems like a guy who definitely pass-catching tight end, but has more of that big frame that um, can, can create, you know, really big mismatches. Yeah, just, you know, having a big, sizable target going over the middle is just huge, especially if you have, uh, you know, a quarterback with, without a lot of experience which is probably how we're going to be starting the season. It is interesting, though, just like I I do like the idea, again, like, I mean, again, I think of Al Netter, right? Al Netter, to me, I hold him up as, like, the ultimate example of a guy who is, a, like, the one developmental guy that we really, I mean, I think Al was only, like, a two-star recruit, and uh, and that was raw, was tall, came in with great footwork, put on a ton of weight. And I think he might have even played tight end in high school too. Um, and then really developed into, you know, a great Northwestern tackle because of his footwork. And, I mean, I like the idea that we're trying to kind of shoot the moon at least a little bit on this because, I, you know, we can all agree our offensive line kind of needs a shot in the arm. And if we're not able to pull in four-star guys, I like the idea of taking guys who could really develop into something special. We, we've had some, some I'll say, above-average three-star recruits the last couple seasons. You know, Trey Pugh uh, two years ago in the class of 17. In the class of 18, you had two Illinois guys, um, Charlie Mangieri and uh, Brian Kaiser. Now, I'm not sure if these guys have, have stayed at the tight end position, but I think the point being, like, we've we've recruited to this position pretty consistently. consistently. So, yeah, John, your point about shooting the moon and, and making sure we've got a solid stable uh, at that position is uh, is spot on. 
Uh, so let's turn our attention uh, to some news coming out of the basketball program. Um, some some leavings and some comings. Um, you know, one one big addition, but uh, several subtractions. Um, Isaiah Brown, Rapolis Ivanovskis, uh, both transferring away from Northwestern. Um, you've got... Amon Gates uh, leaving as assistant coach. He's going down to, uh, to coach at Florida. Um, but you have Ryan Taylor, a grad transfer from Evansville, oh boy. Uh, who was probably the one of the top two or three uh, eligible grad transfers in the country. Um, and he he's coming to Northwestern. He's a he's a, a what a two or a three. Um, you know, outside shooter, and you know this is this is huge. Um, averaged twenty one point three points per game last season. Shot forty two percent from three, eighty six percent from the line. I mean, this is a guy who uh, can step right in because as a grad transfer, he'll be able to step right in and play, which is going to be huge for the uh, Collins and the Cats. Oh, for sure. I mean, and and there might be some question, and a lot of people list him as a wing. He's going to play two guards. Yeah, first. I totally he's agree. Gonna, he's going to play Scotty Lindsay's position. And the reason is, ain't nobody else on the roster to play that position. I mean, the, uh, the only other guy that you could maybe see fitting in there, and I and I listened to the Insight and you folks talk about this um, on their podcast from, from last week. Uh, Taylor hadn't... I, they talked about how NU had reached out to Taylor, and they just thought it was a total long shot. Um, but they brought up AJ Turner, who transferred to NU um, like a like a, a normal transfer uh, back what uh, two, last year had to set out for a year, but will be eligible this year. Certainly could play wing, maybe could play four if we're going super small ball, um, but could also potentially fit into that two spot. So, I, I mean, the bottom line is our guard depth is just decimated uh with uh with brown transferring and mcintosh uh graduating and you know you can talk about uh yeah oh yeah and, and Lindsay going as well so yeah i mean like our, our guard depth is just is just really brutal um so i think we really need a player uh like Taylor to fill in on that side, but you could see AJ AJ Turner spending some time there. And then of course we're really excited about Latham and cop the two, uh, the two freshmen. Sure. I think the guard is guard is the weak spot and, and Turner, the weird thing is, and I think, you know, to, to tie in the Ivanowskis um, departure, you know, when I first read that again, and I mean, sorry, Collins, but I mean, like, you've earned a little bit of this knee jerk. Um, <laughs> a little bit of it is just like, oh, really? Like, what? what's going on in the program that, like, Avanaskis is leaving? But the bottom line is, he's been hurt. And while he's been hurt, he's seen a deluge of guys who play his position come into the program. And the math is just not in his favor anymore. And is he is he really a three? I kind of thought he was more of a four. Well, I, I did the, too, but I mean, he always struck me as well, like a the, slim four. Right. Well, he was kind of thought of as like this Swiss Army knife type. I, guy, I would right? take like a three four. I, I would take a slimmer four that would potentially be a lot faster on defense than Falzone or Skelly. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, I mean, like it's. 
and we can talk about potential, you know, with Taylor factored in potential lineup iterations, etc. But I mean, Falzone is basically a three. Um, Pete Nance is an NBA three <laughs> who will <laughs> probably play four for us. But I mean, like you have all kinds of creative, creative lineup possibilities you can trot out. Um, Turner played, you know, is like a two, three, um, I mean, uh, Turner's kind of more of like a wing. I mean, like 6'7". I mean, he's a 6'7 lanky guy. I mean, obviously, there are plenty of NBA twos that are like that. But, I mean, he, you know, there... I mean, you could see, all right, Lathan comes right in. Plug him in at the one. Jordan Ash could be like a backup for Lathan and be the backup one. Um, but two guard, I mean, I, I see way more permutations of us going with taller, potentially slower lineups. Um, and they're... And, I mean, I I really believe <clears throat> it's going to be hard to keep Nance off the floor just because the guy, in a lot of ways, looks and feels like an NBA player, even if he's not polished or, you know, doesn't necessarily have the speed and agility. He's just, uh, you know, the guy's like 6'8", 6'9", and can shoot off the dribble. Like, it's that's, that's, an, that's an NBA ball player. Um, the guy who I think is going to come in and, like, this is my team is Miller Cop. I think people don't realize yet this guy's a total stud and he's an attacking kind of guy who handles the ball really well for his size. Um, so I think you I think you can kind of see <clears throat> where the guy who's going to be kind of an interesting situation to me is, is Vic Law because I think he's going to be a presumptive starter. Obviously, he's one of our better defensive players, but he and Cobb kind of play the same position um, and... You know, it's there are just so many, so many different permutations from the three through the five spot. But I feel like at the two, it's kind of Taylor, and I don't know who else it's going to be. I mean, I feel like you've got so many guys, including AJ Turner and Falzone, who are going to cycle through the three and the four position. Um, but I mean, thank God we got Taylor because he's he's going to start and play a lot. Well, and if we didn't get him, you'd be potentially looking at a, a cop Latham back backcourt, um, or maybe you're starting Jordan Ash. Um, well, you know, I mean, you know the other. And play- by the way, hey, wait, and by what? the way, it sounds weird, but cop really can handle the ball really well, and that might not be too much of a stretch. Yeah, you could see you could see him and Latham maybe maybe swapping in and out a little bit um, to spell each other. You know, the other guy we keep forgetting to talk about is Anthony Gaines, who, re- I, you know, to my eye looked really good down the stretch. He made, I mean, he made some boneheaded plays. Uh, he, he had to run the offense a bit in a couple of games when McIntosh was banged up. You wonder, you do wonder why uh, Isaiah Brown didn't see the court more in those situations. Maybe the the staff had just decided he wasn't a good fit. Um, I think we we talked offline about him, you know, really wanting to be a scorer, be a be a score first uh, type of point guard. Um, I'll argue down the stretch in the NCAA season that Brian McIntosh was a score for score first point point guard, and I'm not sure why we couldn't have let Isaiah Brown try that a little bit, but whatever. Um, it's uh that's all you know we're, we're past all that anyways point being uh i thought Gaines, especially on defense really showed himself to be be uh, a strong player and have some real potential i th- i think you know maybe he's a starter next year given the youth on the team but he seems more like kind of a perfect six man uh on this squad going forward the thing that i like the most about factoring all these guys in is 
there are a couple, and again, some of them are a little bit of a stretch, but because guys like Nance can potentially play multiple positions, you can talk to yourself into some, like, really crazy... Like, when you consider the lack of height we've had across various iterations, (laughs) especially at the guard position, um, you could potentially be starting... And, and again, this is just, uh, I, I don't know that we'll ever see this lineup, but because Nance, in theory, is an NBA 3, uh, you could potentially start 6'4", Jordan Lathan, as your 1, um, 6'6", Ryan Turner, as your 2, 6'9", Pete Nance, as your 3, Derek Pardon and Barrett Benson, all in the same lineup. <laughs> And that's and, and just, Ryan Young too. I mean, let's not forget I'm, about him. Right. I mean, as as your other five. Right. I mean, either way, you're talking to you know, almost seven footers. So it's you could potentially trot out an absolutely huge lineup. Now you'd be making Pete Nance guard the opposing team's three, but Pardon and and Benson, lest we forget, have played together. They did it in the Big Ten tournament. That was the last lineup we went with. You know, in the last ball game and. It had its raw edges, but, I mean, Pardon is, you know, more a four than a five. We play him at the five because it's college, but, um, you know, more realistically, you'll probably see, like, Nance at the four, and then, right, like a a Benson or a Pardon at the five, um, Copper Law at the three, but that's still a really tall unit across the board um, where you're not really sacrificing much athleticism. It's just... Uh, despite these departures, it gets us thinking about just how sweet this recruiting class that is, uh, is coming in is going to be. Well, I think they've still got one more open slot potentially to, to look for another, um, maybe uh, maybe somebody to add some depth at the point guard position if if, if Taylor truly will be the two, uh, or you know another another front court player to to allow you to maybe feel more comfortable playing Benson and Pardon together. You know, you obviously want to be careful about fouls with those guys um, because they are the only two fives that we have, really. The one thing that is worth mentioning relative to the recruiting is the departure of Gates that Sam mentioned yeah. earlier. Um, Armand Gates was a great recruiter, and that was part of the reason he was brought in from Loyola in the first place. Isn't, and, isn't he the primary um, coach for the big men? Like, hasn't he had a huge impact on uh, – didn't he have a huge impact on Ola when when that staff, staff first arrived? So, yeah, right, I, so I like, believe so, yeah. So that's part of it, and I think one of the maybe misconceptions that people had because he came from Loyola and because you know he was known to be a great recruiter is that – he was a great recruiter of the Chicago area, which may or may not be true. But really where he had ties and was plugged in was the Northeast prep school scene. Um, and he had a really big role in landing Aaron Falzone. Um, and I, I believe, you know, in, not the guys that are on the current Final Four team, but I think being that Loyola is a Catholic school, I think he had a little bit to do with, you know, some of the guys who came from the Northeast to that program as well. So... We're losing that avenue, um, and that's, you know, a little bit of a shame. But, you know, success patches all those things over if the team can kind of get over this this hiccup year um, with some of this new talent. They haven't announced a, a replacement for him yet, have they? I haven't seen anything. No, nor have I. 
you know, it's is just you know a few days old. You know, this happened earlier this week, so you know I'm sure they're going to take a moment to uh, to to look around, <laughs> catch their breath. A lot of musical chairs going on in well, Northwestern basketball. While we're at it, we need to shout out Tavares Hardy. Oh yeah, yeah, right. New coach at um, what was it? Loyola, Loyola Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. yeah, head first head coach gig. Um, been a long time coming at, you know, years at Georgetown, Georgia Tech, and uh, one other Power 5 spot. Lo- Loyola, well, he was at Loyola, too, was right? Loyola? Was as an assistant, I believe. I think he went from Loyola to Georgia Tech, but I could be wrong. But he was at Georgetown, I think, before he went to... Georgetown, Georgia Tech, and one other place. Yeah. There was, a, there was definitely a third one, and I'm pretty sure it was a Power 5. Um, I, well, obviously, he was, a, he was an assistant at Northwestern for a period, too, but... Um, that's just awesome for Tavares Hardy. Very exciting to have uh, a Northwestern basketball product become a head coach. And, um, you know, I, maybe we'll get to, to root for him and his squad in the, uh, in the tournament in coming years. Now he, I, I just pulled up his, uh, his wiki. He was coach at Northwestern, went to Georgetown to Georgia tech. And, uh, then at now at Loyola. So I guess, I guess I was thinking that I think it was because he had been considered for the Loyola Chicago job at one point. Like his name had been batted around, and I think that's how I got it in my head. But sadly, you're not at the Final Four, Loyola Tavares, but someday, maybe. Someday. Yeah, so congratulations to Tavares. Um, one other bit of Northwestern grab bag that we uh, need to mention is uh, women's lacrosse. Yeah, continuing their, you know, just smoking hot streak uh, here now won six games in a row uh, with big wins over Ohio State and uh, Notre Dame uh, a ranked Notre Dame team Uh, just a few more games left in in the regular season before they get into uh, kind of the Big Ten tournament and the uh, NCAA tournament Uh, and uh, obviously that season ender uh, tilt at Maryland is uh, is starting to loom much much closer than it has been. Uh, it's still a fantastic season so far uh, for the lacrosse team. Yeah, this is a team with what two losses to top five teams in the country, and their only other loss was on the road against a ranked Duke team by one goal. So um, it's the lows were not really that low this season for the cats and they're on fire right now. So yeah, big road game coming up at, at uh, state college ranked number seven. Now uh, the cats are Penn state is right around 14. So yep. Um, a team that, that, that NU should beat and, and one that'll, you know, look good again for the resume. Uh, Maryland lost a game. Uh, they've dropped down to number three. Oh no! I'm sorry. They, they they that's about where they were before last time we talked about lacrosse because Stony Brook had all, already taken the number one spot. Um, interesting. Here's a school that I haven't heard talked about a lot in women's lacrosse: Boston College, fourteen and zero, number two in the country right now. Really kind of interesting. Wow. Huh. Yep. Yep. And then right behind one slot behind Northwestern, Loyola. The sister Jean Halo effect continues. Is that Loyola Chicago? I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's Tavares Hari. Yeah, Hari that's Loyola. what I was. I'm um, sure it's Maryland. They're they are uh, lacrosse superpower, men's and women's. I think the women maybe are kind of catching up, but the men, um, you know, are only a couple years removed from a national championship. I think 
Um, that's the only thing I know. That and Tavares Hardy, the two things I know about Loyola of Maryland. <laughs> One thing that's kind of stinging, though, Duke, 7-5 and five now on the season. Um, that loss that the Cats had early on is, is, uh, is a real bummer. But, you know, still, uh, they're, you know, they're doing well. Um, RPI has them a little bit lower, uh, ninth in the country. And um, Coach's Poll has the Cats outside of the top ten. Still, though, I mean, right right around top 10, I, I would imagine, in the coaches' poll and then top 10 in, in the other polls, that that's striking distance. You know, you have a, a nice little run in the Big Ten tournament, you get a good seed, and, uh, you know, see what happens in the NCAA tournament because um, I, I th- don't think it's, you know, far off to say that that is going to happen at this point. I mean, even an epic collapse down the stretch, and they're, they're not missing the NCAA tournament, right? No, 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 not, not, no. And I think the good news is this team's cresting at the right time. I mean, they spanked Notre Dame, and that's what that was a ranked team. Um, and you know, Penn State is is decent, and I think they're better than Notre Dame, and that's on the road. But um, the the Cats are playing really well headed into that game, so it bodes well. Worth noting that it's really been a team effort this year. Like when you look across things, like points per game, goals per game, draw controls per game, like. There are no cats in the top 20 or even 30 uh, of these rankings. It's really been a team effort from NU um, and a different different players stepping up on different nights. So, which is fantastic. I mean, that, that's you know, have that kind of depth is huge. You know, someone has a an off game and someone else can step right up and and get the job done. I mean, that that's absolutely fantastic to hear. It's kind of funny because given how we talked about how stacked the home slate was for the Cats this year in terms of not only quality of of opponent but just amount of home games, they only have one left. Uh, They host Rutgers on the 21st and everything else is is away from home. you got trips to State College and College Park, the Big Ten Tourney in Ann Arbor, and then on to the NCAAs. Anything else we need to talk about here tonight? Or shall we continue our search for the Swoley Grail? Uh, The Frozen Final Four completed this past weekend. Minnesota Duluth knocked off Ohio State. Notre Dame beat Michigan. And then uh, the Bulldogs from Duluth uh, knocked off Notre Dame in the championship. Gave them two titles in the last, what is it? five or six years. Uh, I think during that time, the Minnesota Gophers have sniffed zero titles. Um, I kind of used to root for Gopher hockey. I think that is, that is going away. I find myself uh, no longer supporting, uh, supporting the Gophers for a variety of reasons. Anyway, um, funny jokes that you can make about the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs. Uh, they, they basically play in the town convention center. Apparently it's, it's pretty beaten down. Um, uh, Duluth trading buck naked underwear is, uh, plastered across, you know, I assume two thirds of the downtown, uh, buildings in, in Duluth as it's plastered across my TV incessantly when I'm watching basketball or otherwise. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it was a fun tournament. Um, go college hockey, uh, a really entertaining, uh, affair, uh, over those, uh, those two weekends and, I think, you know, we talked a lot about other potential programs in the Big Ten or otherwise it could be thinking about, you know, making the jump up. Given the um, the presence of all these Big Ten squads and, and 
the attention that um, that this tournament drew. Uh, I'm pretty excited about the prospect of uh, of college hockey and and, and it growing uh, in subsequent years. It's crazy that three Big Ten teams made the Frozen Four, and the fourth team is the one who came away with the title. All that talk we had about the emergence of the Big Ten. and But it's also a team in northern Minnesota, which is yeah. like – Big Ten sure. country, um, and also where like they do nothing but play hockey or curl. Truth, truth. For my final thought, I don't really have a great one. But speaking of teams that lost in the Frozen Four, uh, Michigan, um, Wilton Spate, who was lost in a lot of uh, fours. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michi- uh, Wilton Spate, who was. Michigan's guy quarterback pretty much all the 2016 season um, before his shoulder injury took him out um, and was the starter at the start of the 2017 season until Brandon Peters replaced him after he got injured uh, again um, is transferring to UCLA um, which makes the quarterback competition at Michigan a little bit less crowded Um, but I find it interesting only because in my mind, yes, there are a couple names, including a McCaffrey brother in the mix. But for my money, this all clears the deck even more for Shea Patterson to come in and take the reins of this program. As- um, assuming Shea Patterson gets his uh, waiver clear, right? And that, that's still right. up in the air, right? And I think that's the big thing, and and he's waiting on that. And uh, I'm sure Brandon Peters is, is hoping it goes the other way. But uh, right now, it probably looks to be, uh, you know, Brandon Peters. Dylan McCaffrey, but but more most probably Shea Patterson, um, and we'll see if uh, you know what you know what Spade ends up with. Uh, I don't know if he has a year of eligibility, or I mean, if he has to sit out a year. Or if he's he's a grad to, transfer. Grad transfer, so uh, you know he'll have a chance to play right away at UCLA. So you know, best of luck to him, given all the injuries troubles he's had. But uh, <laughs> but again. That's so interesting that uh, he decided to go because, I mean, th- there had been, you know, the question of Shea Patterson, you know, whether would he be able to play, would he not? Um, you know, he, and there was. Question. And maybe, may, right, may, maybe they know something now. You yeah, know? I, I, uh, got, I got to think he had he had to know something might be coming because, you know, if, if Spate stays and Patterson doesn't get cleared, Spate is still probably. Uh, the the front runner for the job, right? I mean, I do not think so. No, okay. I, so I like John. I think uh, the Spate family is is most pleased with your your gracious optimism that he would factor into the Michigan quarterback <laughs> race this year. Uh, given g- g- assu- uh, and that's assuming that Shea Patterson would be eligible. I I don't think he would have had a prayer. And even without Patterson. I, I mean, they, they, they dropped him to go with Peters towards the end of the year. I know he had some injury stuff, but at no point did he give you any any sense that uh, of, of confidence or ability to, to, to win big or anything. I, it, for, for my money, if it's not Patterson, I have to think they, they uh, see what Dylan McCaffrey can give them. It is interesting, though. I mean, I you're you're turning the page, and I think you know. I, I have to think. I mean, I, I right. I mean, I it's it's exciting names for Michigan fans, and I have to think Michigan. I don't think Michigan fans are too happy with Spate or Brandon Peters, so I think they're willing to see what else is uh, what else is available. Uh, 
Uh, so for my final thought, going to pivot ever so slightly to uh, you know, kind of the focus of our next few weeks of, of podcasts, and that's the NFL. Um, you know, I know everyone was waiting, waiting with bated breath as the uh, preseason schedule was announced. Um, I know I had no idea that was coming, and yay, preseason, but whatever. Um, interesting that the first game uh, in, in the pre, or not, not the first game, cause that's the Hall of Fame game, but week one of the preseason features the return of Trevor Simeon to Denver as the, uh, Vikings play the Broncos, uh, that week one. Um, Case Keenum versus his ulti, although Keenum won't play for the Broncos cause it's week one of, of preseason, maybe like a snap or two. Um, but hopefully Trevor will get a fair amount of time for the Vikes and, you know, even more hoping that the, uh, Bronco fans in attendance really are able to show their appreciation for Trevor um, because I I know I sure will. They'll be appreciating when he takes the takes the final kneel to seal the seal the coffin on a preseason loss for your Broncos. (laughs) That that's that's adorable that you're getting that fired up about preseason game number one. (laughs) This is when I'm, I'm mad at John Elway. Screw that guy. This is when you know what time of year we're heading into. Where we're already like, hmm, preseason football. <laughs> I don't know, man. The cu- Off we go into the desert. Cup playoffs just started, and this I have to. I watched the the Vegas Golden Knights play last night, and they are fun. Oh, absolutely! So and much that, fun. I I am so. Did you, did you watch the very beginning, like the uh, overly dramatic, like way over the top uh, pregame ceremonies? I'm really sad I missed it. Oh my was, god! W- was Ric Flair involved? Ric Flair was not involved. Uh, However, uh, what were involved were uh, skating, um, a skating night, uh, doing a full-on sword fight with uh, a guy carrying a L.A. Kings flag. Also sweet. on, also on the ice during that sword fight were other uh, skaters holding flags for the rest of the Western Conference teams. As it is the Knights versus the rest of the Western Conference. Um, did Celine like, did Celine Dion sing? No, no. <laughs> I'm all I. This all sounds fantastic. They need to medieval times the crap out of this thing. Oh, they That's have they have medieval times the crap out of this thing. It's it is like every bit as over the top as you would expect uh, performance from Vegas. Um, I, I know in the stadium they have like a castle uh, up in the like at the top of the stadium where they have like drummers and it's as over the top as you would expect from Vegas. And as you'd expect with any pro sports starting up in Vegas, it's immediately going to be like, why haven't we been doing this for so long? I mean, I like, well, I mean the, the fact that, you know, an expansion team not only made the playoffs, but won their division is completely unprecedented. It's just, in in pretty much any sport. In any yeah, exactly any sport. Expansion teams are supposed to suck, um, and the fact that Vegas was not only decent but straight up good. Uh, Thanks, Gary Bettman. Yeah, um, make, makes me really interested to see what happens when Seattle gets their expansion team here in a couple years. Um, you know what if. I mean, expectations for the for the Seattle team are going to be off the charts. If Vegas can do it in one year, why can't we? Well, wait. Uh, I I said thank you, Batman, but you got to give some credit to George McPhee, the oh, GM of, of Vegas, who basically just 
fleeced other NFL t- uh, NHL teams left, right, and center because there there were a lot of basically the way that the the expansion draft worked is that each team was able to to hold down somewhere between like eight and ten players depending on the positions or eight and eleven. I, I can't exactly quite remember, but they're able to say, "Yep, yeah, you can't touch these players." But then there were a ton of backroom deals where McPhee and uh, the Knights said, "Well, hey, you know." We are really interested in this player, but if you don't want, uh, like we promise, we won't select him if you make us a trade for this, that, and the other thing. They they amassed just a giant war chest of assets, and then have uh, just taken everybody to the cleaners. Uh, and and it was really a masterful job by George McPhee, who who previously built um, the Washington Capital Capitals. They've never won anything, but there's no doubt that they have a very very talented team and. Uh, it's just like the the play that they've gotten out of this this team in Vegas is spectacular, and they are just so much fun to watch. They are super fast and aggressive and young, and just everything you want an offensively minded hockey team to be with an outstanding Stanley Cup winning goalie and Marc Andre Fleury. It's just a perfect mix. And just how great is it to have Vegas, a pro sports team where like Vegas is in the mix? Like it just sounds good. Like I. Like, it, it's just good for the sports, and I, I hope other teams follow suit. I mean, I was listening, WNBA draft, uh, Vegas has a team there now, too, so, you know, the, the, I don't know. Vegas's team featuring uh, Northwestern Zone, Nia Coffey. Uh, this, right. this is the uh, San Antonio team that moved to Vegas. You know what's really you know what's really funny? We had the game on last night, and they abbreviated the Vegas Knights VGK, and... Uh, Anne Marie comes in. And she looks. At, she's well. She she was in there with me for a while. We were chatting. So she looks up the team. She goes, "Who are the Vikings?" Because <laughs> <laughs> with the night logo, like it kind of you know, um, right. So I thought that was pretty funny. They need they need to just put Vegas up there. To your point, John. Right. And, and let, let's be fair. Those uniforms are badass. Those are just sharp and pretty. And oh, I, I got to get my hands on a, a Golden Knights jersey at some point. They're pretty cool. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And as always, you can email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag. Because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.